My name is Ronit. And my partner in crime, weekly podcast crime, Gaurav, we're delighted to host the latest episode of FinTech Founders, FinTech and Web3 Founders, where we get operators, investors, thought leaders to come along with the help of CFT's great platform and editing, give you their story. Seth, welcome. Thank you, Ronit. Nice. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Who are you? So um, I'm Sepp, general partner at uh, White Star Capital. Uh, we, um, we are a global multi-stage uh, tech investment platform, um, really trying to invest in exceptional founders and entrepreneurs uh, globally, uh, building um, ambitious companies. We um, have been operating since 2014 and uh, currently are present, uh, physical present locations, whatever that means these days, in uh, New York, Toronto, Montreal, London, Paris, Singapore, and uh, recently, as of the last four months, uh, here in the UAE. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's, that's a bit about White Star. We, we run multiple different funds, different verticals covering fintech uh mobility uh web3 and specifically to web3 is what i focused on um been been investing in the web3 space since 2015 mm. um, you know really at the onset of of um, of ethereum the launch of ethereum which for me was a big light bulb moment and um never looked back and been been fully dedicating my career and and uh, investments and research into all things web3 Seth, let's uh, dive a bit more into that Web3 aspect. Um, it's in our podcast title. Uh, it's what you're doing right now. So let's, uh, as the cliche goes, double click on Web3. Why Ethereum? What got you excited? Um, tell us as much as possible those kind of initial aha moments. I remember watching um, a video with Brian Armstrong uh, talking about how when he read the Bitcoin white paper, he locked himself in his room and he just couldn't come out until he finished. And then he came, you know, he was late for dinner, he was in his parents' house and he was just captivated by the um, the original Satoshi Nakamoto white paper. What, what got you into crypto, Ethereum, Web3? Yeah, I mean, I wish I wish I could say, say the same, but um, the, wit, the, the Bitcoin white paper did nothing to me. Uh, <laughs> I I come from a from a traditional finance background. I I kind of grew up uh, on the on the trading floor um, at, at various different banks and mm. hedge funds, broker dealers. And I remember in two thousand nine, uh, late two thousand nine, early two thousand ten, some of the younger um, uh, traders on the on 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 my desk uh, at the time were were mining Bitcoin. Mm. And uh, we we had all of us more or less read that white paper. I thought it had no value. Uh, these guys would come in in the morning and would say, "Oh, we have some Bitcoin. Who wants to? Who wants some couple of Bitcoins?" They're giving them away. Mm. And you know, the, the the answer for me was like, "Stop wasting your time. This is, <laughs> this is worthless." Right? I'm sure I'm not the only one who made that kind of mistakes early on. Um, but for me, there was really no no value at the time. Mm. I was well entrenched in the in the tradfi world. So what happened is around 2012, I started thinking about investing as, a, as an angel. Uh, and that's when everything changed. Started looking mm. in the tech space, 
tech was kind of booming. Um, started doing a couple of handful, you know, investments, uh, following and backing some of the entrepreneurs that I that I knew and had met. It took so much of my time to to a point that I decided to kind of quit my job and and, and become an angel investor. Um, that led to uh, joining a family office and launching a, a a fund with them side by side to do mainly tech investments, and that was 2015. And this is when we, as a as a, as an entity, came across the the Ethereum white paper, and that was for me, as I mentioned, the light bulb moment, the aha moment, where we knew about Bitcoin, this this worthless thing that you know people were wasting their time on and energy. But then came Ethereum from a tech standpoint, when you incorporate auto-executable contracts um, and put that into the tech world, this changed everything for me. Because all of a sudden, everything that we started looking at in terms of an investment standpoint could be automated, right? So this is where we caught on and said, okay, we need to invest in this. So by way of Ethereum, I got kind of back into Bitcoin. And you know the rest is history. And so, without putting words in your mouth, what got you into Ethereum was this—it's um, almost like the the smart contract element of it, or the ability to to build things on it. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously easier to to talk about it and express that narrative today uh, in 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 in, um, in hindsight, but it, it really is come down comes down to the 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 evolution of of the web, right? The, 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 we were stuck in such a, you know, web two world where we thought that was the end, end all. Um, and Ethereum really changed that, uh, was the beginning of that kind of concept of let's get out of this web mm. two, uh, read, uh, read and write world yeah. kind of unlock so many capabilities. And then every time you thought about investing and then technology this this piece of technology was so disruptive at every layer that you just couldn't stop thinking about it tell me a little bit more about the journey into ethereum like what got you going into ethereum like practically was it meeting people in the ecosystem who are building? Was it reading the white paper? Was it, I don't know, um, investing in the, the token? I think it's, 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 um, it's all of the above. So maybe I'll touch on those uh, individually. First, you know, I was at the right place at the right time. I, I lived in Brooklyn at the time, uh, uh-huh. right next to, uh, not next to, but at least close enough to consensus with a lot of Ethereum uh, early stage developments and, and idea stages were coming out of. A um, lot of meetups there um, were, were involved in some of the early uh, meetups uh, of people getting together and thinking about, you know, how this is going to look like and where they're going to invest and, you know, what is the tech architecture for this thing is going to look like. Uh, so that was good. It was a good, you know, lucky moment and fortunate to be, to be there and part of the time. Kind of a little bit of a piece of history there if you think about it. Um, then the investment piece, of course, uh, to, to participate in that investment and just wire money and, and into, into an account and just buy Ethereum, hold it in a wallet. Um, that was really innovative. Um, 
and then trying. It's like, you know, it's like sending your first email, right? You, 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 you don't really get it until you start doing it. And you're like, wow, this isn't, we don't need a fax anymore. We don't need mail anymore. I could just send an email. So doing it was incredible. What, what happened immediately after that, if you remember, is we got into this crazy world of ICO booms and everyone just mm. tokens on top of Ethereum. So I would literally spend hours, you know, with sleepless nights trying to invest in these crazy idea ICOs, these companies that clearly the, the, the majority of them were, were, were worthless, uh, didn't really go anywhere. But that that practice of, you know, buying your Ethereum, putting it in a wallet, uh, getting whitelisted, investing in an ICO, seeing the token launch, this was really innovative for me. When you look back on the investing side in Web3 and the journey you've had, how do you think of Web3 investing today versus when you began? You said it was around 2015. Like, how's your um, your mental frameworks, your thought process, your investment process evolved, changed, developed? As you've seen some of these projects, you've seen the bubble, the the bubble burst and tell us a little bit more about that yeah so i think looking back um we were all extremely naive thinking that any any company at the pre-seed stage could technically ipo and 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 you would do well with it right so meet founders with crazy ideas which we already knew uh give them a bunch of money with the promise of them delivering something and then that thing never gets developed delivered or developed, but you have all this money into this, you know, useless token. Um, it was a lot of that, but some of these ideas were great. Uh, some of these ideas were actually good and ended up being, you know, some, some of them still exist today. Um, uh, I remember doing the, the ICO of Filecoin, doing I, the ICO of Civic. These are all kind of really early, early projects uh, that shaped what Web3 is today. But in terms of similarities, I think, and where it evolved, I think the foundation hasn't changed. And the foundation there is um, incentive structures, reversing the incentive structures of launching a company um, and really being putting a big emphasis on community, right? So where users really get a piece of the upside, a piece of the pie. And I kept thinking about this model, I said, well, if I were going to, someone was going to launch Twitter today, how would they do it? If you were going to launch Uber today, how would you do it, right? So back in 2016, 17, you couldn't think otherwise. And well, yeah, you make the early adopters basically owners. Um, and that reverses the incentive structure of the Web2 world, where all the value gets captured in, you know, entrepreneurs, early investors and VCs. Um, and nothing until the company eventually IPOs, but now you're probably 10, 15, sometimes 20 years out, then the public could potentially participate. But why not have that model since the beginning? Um, and this was obviously, again, very revolutionary and, and uh, innovative. Um, and that's where we started building. Of course, the industry matured, the quality um, of entrepreneurs and the talent kind of matured, only became better and better. Um, and because you were involved with money and there was such a high velocity of, of, of cash coming in and out, really borderless due to the nature of this you know, underlying asset class, 
Then there was a lot of speculation, unfortunately. There are a lot of scams, unfortunately. People got hurt and burnt, unfortunately, right? But you just had to keep staying focused at the core of this technology was going to be revolutionary and and luckily you know we did and 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 some of us did and and we are here today at a very interesting uh, inflection point were there specific verticals um specific areas where there was i don't know um within the whole kind of web3 fintech space were there specific verticals that you were particularly interested in or you found this is where we're getting traction or where the companies are getting traction, we're getting investment traction. And then there were others where you was like, you know, we stay well away from. And Yeah. So I, I could tell you a little bit about our, our, our um, investment uh, verticals, right. And which, which mm -hmm. has evolved since 2019, when we, that's 2019, we launched our first web three dedicated fund at, at white star. Um, and, uh, we had a, we had a narrative around, um, uh, what's going to be very disruptive. And it was really a proof of concept at the time. There were no NFTs. The, the, the world, world web three almost didn't even exist. Uh, there were basically very little traction on the, on the stablecoin side. Mm. So it's very proof of concept in terms of, uh, investing in the space. And at the time we had three verticals that we, we kind of, that's how we discussed our investment thesis, right? It was gaming, DeFi, and Web3. Those were the three verticals where we said we're gonna be investing, right? Now, fast forward four or five years into that um, with the industry maturing and where we sit today, we redefined those uh, verticals and Call them simply consumer internet, fintech 2.0, and broker to developer, B2D. So that's where, where we really focus on and, and you know, happy to kind of drill down onto those verticals, but pretty self-explanatory. You know, fintech 2.0 is just, you know, your what's happening, the evolution of finance. Um, and it's pretty clear that obviously DeFi has a has a component, mm. but it's not the end all. Um, you know, uh, I think people are going to be using applications that are going to be fintech related, running on blockchains globally, um, and without even knowing it. Which which is the which is the beauty. Uh, consumer internet. This is an interesting one where it, these are applications that are really geared towards the B2C space. Um, and in there, we include gaming. Gaming is a, is a, is a massive uh, vertical, you know, 3.5 billion people play games, but also has a FinTech element to it. Um, so that's the consumer internet. And then B2D, broker to, um, not broker, uh, business to developer, B2D is for us that Web3 component, right? infrastructure and data, right? The crux of, I think, Web3 is to allow users uh, to be able to have self-sovereign self identity and be able to monetize on it. So the stuff that you build with that by having the user and the user IDs and, and, and identity involved throughout the process, this is that, that Web3 component that we're really interested in. So that's how our investment thesis evolved, but mm -hmm. always institutional mindset. If you, if you look at this space, there is, um, 
there is a lot of uh, you know peers and investors that are investing a little bit um, with a new wave of very crypto native, uh, very how we call it in crypto degen like investments. We as a as a as a blue chip fund, as an institutional fund, we always try to look at the space with an institutional mindset. At the end of the day, I don't care if you have a token or not. This is a company. You have to have clear KPIs. You need to have clear gross margins. You have a go-to-market strategy. You have a customer acquisition strategy. These don't differ if you have a token or you don't have a token, right? There are slight nuances, but let's focus on that and bring institutional way of investing into Web3. And that's how we've been doing and evolving our thesis over time. And when you look into those verticals, so FinTech 2.0, consumer internet, is one trending more than the others? Is one sort of where you're finding the best companies right now? Or is there been one where actually we're still waiting and there's a lot of opportunity that you see, but we haven't seen the good companies yet, given you know your institutional framework and your lens. And ultimately, you're not just looking for a token pop in a couple of seconds. You're looking for sounds like basically buy parts of hopefully successful companies over time. Uh, you know, I would say the the fintech 2.0 piece, mm. um, specifically with what's happening, you know, in the last few months. Um, is, is, is a very interesting vertical, at least where we see uh, the majority of our kind of deal flow, right? Um, I think the markets are, are broken, um, especially after the, the FTX uh, debacle. And there's a big, there's a big uh, gap and that needs to be filled if we agree that this is not going away, that Web3 and crypto is not going away, then there's a big gap to fill um, on all things market uh, infrastructure, market structure, the capital markets. Um, so, and that you could really kind of, I, I would throw in payments, uh, exchanges, lending, custody, all that. This is, this is where we're seeing tremendous amount of very good deal flow. Um, really talented entrepreneurs rebuilding all the different layers of the stack um, where we are obviously comfortable uh, investing in. I'm pretty sure Gara wants to dig more into FinTech 2.0. So I'm going to bring him into the conversation now and let him kind of drill further down into that space. Over to you, Gara. Thanks uh, so much, Rona. It's a pleasure to have you with us here today. And it's, it's very interesting to hear about your journey so far. And Ronath absolutely correctly identified my, uh, my, my hunger to, to go deeper into this segment a little bit more and understand what you've been doing or what you've been seeing. Um, so first thing I'd love to understand is from a geographical perspective, you're, glo you're global, right? Right now you're agnostic. You're not geographical. You're not looking at a specific region, right? Is that correct? Absolutely correct. We're global, very global. But you're based out of Dubai. And uh, is it because you feel like Dubai is becoming a center or the center for the space for all these companies or talent to, to sort of emerge? Or what's the, what's the thought process there? Is that just a conduit between East and West? It's easier to move? 
Um, again, I think a, a little bit of both or, or all of the above. I'm, I'm in Dubai now, although my the rest of the team uh, that focuses on digital assets sit between uh, Montreal, New York, and London. Okay. Actually, also one person in Singapore. I'm here now because I think it's a tremendous opportunity um, and the perfect timing to be here. There is, as you know, uh, a big regulatory push locally versus what we see or we've been witnessed in the US. Um, and uh, it's, it's clear that the UAE is, is uh, really proactive uh, about regulating and welcoming uh, the good actors and the good players of this market. So this is very attractive for a lot of our founders, uh, existing founders and potential new opportunities that we find for people coming and setting up shop here. So I think it's an interesting time to be in the UAE, to be focused in Dubai. Um, I don't know how long it's going to last, though. This is, uh, you know, it's 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 here now. We're here now. Uh, a lot depends on the geopolitical situation. A lot have, depends on the the U.S. Uh, when they're going to uh, come up with some regulation or not. And again, there's a lot of interesting things that happened in the past couple of weeks uh, that we could get into. But um, I think right now at this time, it's really interesting to be uh, here in Dubai. And looking at the fintech sector specifically, are you seeing a lot of fintech companies uh, in the Web3 space, particularly out of here? Or are you seeing it's a spread all over the world for things that particularly fit the mandate and scope that you have with which you view deal points? It really is a spread all over the world. Um, if we look at our portfolio, and today we have 25, soon to be 26 companies in, in, in the digital asset space, not all of them are FinTech uh, 2.0, but a big majority of them are. It's, it's not obvious to me where they're based. You know, this whole sector and vertical and space is, is distributed and global. Uh, so they may have some developers in India, a headquarter in Abu Dhabi, um, BizDev in New York. So it's hard to really pinpoint, okay, this company is, we're going to put it in a bucket, they're UK or they're France or, uh, and that's, I think that that's a good thing. That's how we should look at things. We should look at the world. So based on that, we are, we are very global and we see global kind of deal flow and global opportunities. Do you see more and more people coming to this market to compete for the same deal flow? Or do you think it is just, it doesn't matter on, on origin again, that fight for getting the best deals is going to be global again? Because there's a lot of money out there, right? That, uh, that's competing for the same deals at the moment. There's still a lot of money chasing deals. Um, it's, I think it's both of a, a, a blessing and a curse. Uh, but no, absolutely. To your, to your point just now, a lot of people are coming here um, to fundraise. A lot of companies are coming here. And, it's, and I didn't think this would, be, um, this would be a case. But just by sitting here in Dubai, you, you, I'm, I'm intercepting a lot of founders coming in from US, from Asia, from Europe, from UK. And I, I didn't think I would have that much you know, yes, of course, there's local talent that, that that is getting better and better and maturing, which is good. And I thought oh, that would be that would be the limitations. But I don't I, I didn't think I would be meeting founders that are 
from the US and the first time we meet is in Dubai, but this is yeah. happening. We're coming here. So it's really interesting. That's, that's fantastic to hear, you know, on, on a lot of the guests that we've been having on have, have been having excellent experiences from putting time, money and effort into setting up here. So it's, you know, it's, it's, I haven't heard anyone say otherwise just yet. So it's, it's always, always encouraging to hear that, especially for all the other companies that are setting up here. Just going back to the, the portfolio of companies, you, you, have, you have several fintech companies in your portfolio. Is it possible for you to share uh, information about any one of them in particular that's operating in a unique way or are they all in stealth or how does, can you, what are you permitted to share with us or not in the context of the, the companies that are in your portfolio? Yeah, no, no, of course. Happy to share, um, happy to share those and, and uh, the, the ones that are, um, have been announced uh, and, and and released are all also on our on our website, so nothing uh, gotcha. nothing uh, secret there. So, for example, a, a company that we we invested uh, out of our fund one, uh, a company called Ledin, and it's spelled L-E-D-E-N. It's the the play on words on huddle and lending. So Ledin is basically a a centralized finance lending platform that 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 gives uh, over collateralized loans to people who hold uh, digital assets um and they've been they've been operating successfully uh out of Canada and Caymans but really catering to the emerging markets specifically in Latam so this is a really interesting use case where you're a client sitting in LATAM, uh, your local currency is being devalued. You don't have access to US dollars. It's difficult to get your hands on USD, but you need it. Um, and every every day, every week, every month, your local currency is worth less and less and less because of high inflation, hyperinflation. But you have access to a mobile phone and internet. Therefore, you have access to Bitcoin. And these are kind of Bitcoin-rich uh, countries and ecosystems. But now, utilizing a platform like Ledin, they can deposit their Bitcoin and get a USD loan against it over collateralized, right? This is a really interesting model. It works really well, gives access to the dollar for those regions. Um, and the beauty of it is that as a holder, as a client, you don't have to sell your digital assets. So you can benefit from the upside of the market over time. You just get a loan against it. You use that loan to do whatever you need to do, buy a car, pay rent, um, whatever you need to do. And whenever you want to pay back your loan, you get your Bitcoin back. So this is a great model, a good model suited for emerging markets. So not really uh, good for the US or Canada. And when we invested in this company, what we liked about it initially is that they were leapfrogging the US. They were really focused on emerging markets. Now, guess what? Recently, a few months ago, the founder and the CEO of, of this company was here in Dubai. And now we're thinking this is an also a beautiful example for them to come here and offer their services, um, maybe set up in Dubai, but cover the region, cover Africa you know, from here, I think it will do tremendously well. So very, very excited about this, about this business. Very, very interesting because, you know, we know for a fact that uh, crypto in Africa has had its battles with 
regulators. It's had its battles with uh, financial institutions, uh, money leaving the country effectively, you know, and the methodology in which people could access it. And, and there seems to be a lot of ups and downs there. So it's very interesting to, to see how you would navigate that from a base in Dubai, but to service that market. And I think a lot of those companies are also the ones that already exist to offer services in a number of ways, not directly in the way that you described for lead-in, but indirectly. I mean, we had one company which was Paxful, which was doing it a different way through gift card purchases. There were people doing other things. Now, it's not lending, but access to crypto specifically, because once you have access to that ecosystem, then you have access to those other services, which traditional web two fintech does, right? But I think the first barrier to entry is access, as you talked about it, and then having that. Could you take us through a little bit more about what you meant by over collateralized? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so you want to take a loan. Um, you the the user deposits a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin and takes a fifty dollar loan against it. The reason why it's over collateralized, uh, which is nothing more than just putting more collateral than you're the loan that you're taking, just like a mortgage is over collateralized. Got it. Uh, uh, you essentially um, solve for the most part for the volatility of this market. If it was one-to-one, -one, you would always have an issue as an issuer of the loan that the, the person's uh, collateral will be worth much less than the loan. But having that extra collateral gives you that cushion uh, and gives you time to call the client and say, hey, you know, your loan to value is now uh, over leveraged. So we need to either add more or because the company holds the, 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 the underlying asset, the underlying Bitcoin, the digital asset, they could auto liquidate after obviously trying and to, to contact the, uh, the, 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 the client. So it just gives a little bit of a layer of safety to the client, um, the, the loan issuer, right? That's what it is. But just maybe back to what you said earlier, all these companies doing it and, and coming in and trying to uh, disrupt this, this, this model and this system. Um, I think the most difficult part in this industry today, and hopefully it'll change, is, is ramps. So on-ramping and off-ramping from fiat to crypto. And people who touch that, people who try to, to, to jump into the deep end and, and offer these, these, these services, depending on where you are, you may or may not get shut down by the regulator. Uh, even in LATAM, who you had, we've seen so many companies that you know, rely heavily on the current banking rails. Um, we see that also in, in Nigeria, which is a massive market. As soon as they get too big, governments tend to come down and knock on their doors. The beauty of this company, Ledin, is that they don't touch the ramps. So you already have Bitcoin and then you utilize a service. So that, that banking layer is removed and they're not dependent on so-and-so bank uh, to, 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 to shut them down, right? So this is, this is, that's also an interesting part because you already have the digital asset that you acquire through an exchange or through any other on-ramp that you've used globally and you come and you get your loan on a platform. And when you say digital asset, can I tokenize something like an NFT and use it as a digital asset and take uh, get a get money against it? Can I use a CryptoPunk and and take loans against that, or does it does it have to be specifically a currency? 
you well technically you can and there are platforms offering um you know loan and leveraged uh based on your nfts um and any tokenized asset um and this is where we get into the real world asset tokenization and and to be able to tokenize it and and, and get loan against it um specifically to let in you cannot specifically to let in they they just restrict you to Bitcoin, um, USDC for now, uh, eventually Ethereum, but it's really more compliant, safe uh, kind of uh, playbook. And thankfully, because uh, you know it's a it's a it's a difficult regulatory uh, environment out there. It's complex, and as long as you're, you know, not touching some of these uh, long tail assets, uh, it's 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 better at this stage. Uh, but yeah, no, you could absolutely tokenize. Technically, you could tokenize anything and get a loan against it. That's what I mean. That's the interesting part about Web3, right? Is, is, is the asset class for moving into what can be securitized or tokenized could be the, a pure digital asset like a currency or an NFT as opposed to a collateralized asset that I've securitized, right? And like a property or a car or something that I want to get a loan against. But I imagine in, in your case, the, the company lender is when it's got that piece it's doing smaller loans at a more frequent rate of return like maybe in a month or three months or six months is my assumption as opposed to larger amounts for longer periods yes it's a it's a um it's a retail platform right so it's catering to to retail although some institutional uh deal flow deals have been going through uh over the years but it's mainly retail it's mainly for the person who you know wants wants a thousand dollar loan five thousand dollar loan and goes in and deposits the Bitcoin, gets the gets the USD USDC out. Um, that's that's re that's really what it is. Uh, but I think over time these platforms will evolve, and you will be able to collateralize, you know, anything that that you could sec uh, securitize or digitize or or or, or uh, and then you know get a loan against it, and eventually liquidity as well. But that's that's I think that's far far down the road. You know, it's interesting when you look at Web3 and the number of people we've, we've, we've interviewed or, you know, we've hosted on this podcast, the amount of visibility that we get with the way people identify companies or the way that they engage because Web3 is global, right? We've talked about it being geographically agnostic. We've talked about teams not having to reside in single locations. They can be fragmented all over the world. So it could be a truly global company right from the beginning. The other aspect of this, which I find interesting, and I'd love for you to, to perhaps share your own experience on, is about the founders that you interact with, right? Now, typically with, with someone like me that's done a, a lot of investing from about 2016, 2017 onwards, right? The, the one thing that, you know, is always the baseline and everyone says the same thing, right? It's, it's no, no secret is is founders themselves, right? The, 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 the investment thesis of why people invest in companies is a lot of it is to do with the founders, not just the idea or the category or the space or the TAM or the SAM or the SOM. It's the founders are a big deal. But what I specifically want to get to is second time founders, right? How much are you seeing second time founders and no, not from the Web3 space, because I think that's unreasonable to have the expectation that there are second or third time founders in the Web3 space, given it's so young, it's not a vintage. But how much are you seeing founders 
of Web3 companies being people who were previous successful founders of Web2 companies starting Web3 businesses. Is that a lot of your portfolio? Or are you seeing people who are generally Web3 founders are first-time founders because they're really thinking differently or they come from an age category or they're trying to you know, approach the ideas in a completely different fashion? Yeah, that's that's a, that's an interesting stat, and uh, that we keep a close eye on uh, internally, just just for for, for ourselves. And uh, I can tell you that first of all, we love repeat founders. There's something to say about a, a repeat entrepreneur over and over. Uh, it's more tricky in Web three because it's such a nascent uh, asset class and, and technology. However, over forty percent of our portfolio today um, are repeat entrepreneurs and repeat founders. And my assumption there is that once a founder gets an exit and wants to do it again, because that's in their blood, they just want to build companies, the likelihood of them coming back to the market with an idea that uses crypto rails or blockchains or some type of digital asset is extremely high. So we will see more and more of that going forward. And I think these two worlds are going to completely um, get blurred and, and become one. My, my view is that in five years time, uh, maybe a little longer, maybe a little less, we won't necessarily have Web3 funds. You'll have a fund. They'll be investing in technology. You'll have a tech fund. And most likely that most of your companies uh, will have some interaction with blockchain and digital asset, just like they do with cloud computing, right? Cloud computing now, you, you, you can't launch a company with that is not utilizing cloud, right? So it's just such a more efficient way to run a business as a founder. It's much cheaper, much more effective, right? I believe that this is going to be the same way that's going to converge into Founders are going to come into the space and they want to build a disruptive company, no matter what it is, if it's fintech or gaming or whatever it is. And they're going to be utilizing a piece of this technology that is blockchain and Web3. Um, so more and more, we're going to see this. You know, the, the fintech space is a, is a well-regulated space. It's, a, it's an enormous space with existing issues and future problems and future solutions and existing solution providers, right? There's so much happening there. But the Web3 space, as you rightly said, is covers everything, right? And it's going to get in, it's already enveloped and, and, and works across different industries and different streams. We talk about gaming a lot and the significance of Web3 in gaming being an extremely large target audience, revenue generating capability, solutions to solve, uh, services to provide. Are you seeing gaming still predominantly at sort of the top of the pyramid when it comes to Web3 in terms of spaces that people are investing in or that are getting utilized globally? Or is there another sector as well as FinTech catching up? What are you seeing from that portfolio of people that want to build companies and those that are actually getting adopted and seeing traction? What's getting traction? So uh, gaming gaming is a low-hanging fruit, right? Because first of all, that, that, that the, the total addressable market is massive, right? So we like that as 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 investors. We we yeah, like three to, billion, right? Is that right? Yeah, now almost yeah, three point five and 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 growing, right? So this this time is really interesting for us, obviously. 
But also, if you look at the demographics, um, gamers have, are very early adopters in, in, in technology and in-game digital assets um, have been around forever. Uh, and a gamer is used to buying an asset in a game uh, and swapping it. The, the beauty of it is now they could own it and they could take it home with them and they could bring it from one game to another and then they could also, you know, grab utility out of it. If they don't want to play the game anymore, they could rent it. Uh, so there's so many things that get unlocked uh, and we, we find gamers and gaming uh, entrepreneurs uh, really pushing the forefront of where this technology is going. And again, there's a big, there's an intersection between gaming and, 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 and FinTech and kind of FinTech 2.0, because now you have, you know, in-game transactions and in-game economies, then, you know, you start touching finance because you need to, you need payment rails, you need on-ramps and off-ramps, you need custodians, you need, and then, you know, this, this world gets blurred again, where, you know, you could have economic activity within a game, just like you do doing commerce. Um, and then on the fintech side, I think, look, we're, we're, we're just reinventing uh, the, you know, financial stack, but in a, in a better way. And you look at it, everything we do in Web3, almost everything we do in Web3, um, already exist or exist in, 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 in traditional finance. Stable coins, right? Stable coins is nothing new but a stable coin, right? Your bank account is a stable coin. Uh, PayPal is a stable coin, right? What's the difference? It's just that you go from a, a bank ledger that is closed or a PayPal ledger that is closed to an open ledger, right? This is a, this is a stable coin. Um, so there's nothing to, to be scared of or, 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 or there's nothing too risky. It's just that, you know, we're just we're just reinventing these technologies and systems in a in a in a better way and more efficient way right so that's that's where we're going parallel railway roads to mud roads as as Ronit would like to phrase on our little talk we did last night at the museum of the future for those of you that missed it don't worry i'm sure Ronit will 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 join me on stage and we'll do it together at some point won't we Ronit Hope so. Hope so. Yeah. Absolutely. But Seth, there, there, was there a video of that session? No, no. It's Chatham House rules that it's, it's, it can't be recorded because we have very sensitive, candid conversations there. So we don't want to, we don't want to, uh, to we want to have encouraging conversations for for in-person participants. But maybe at some point we're graduating. There, there are some conversations happening. But I don't want to give too many surprises away just yet, Ronit. We'll, we'll we'll let our listeners come to it later. Well, I was there. I was there last night, and it was it was a fantastic event. Um, the The conversation was uh, really uh, insightful, um, and uh, really really enjoyed uh, being uh, being there. Well, what we, what did you make, Seth? For the, have you had you been to the Museum of the Future before? Yeah, you know, I I went to that same auditorium. Uh, Vara uh, yes. held an event a few weeks ago there. Um, right. I I went for the first time. And I thought, I think that that room is really magical. It's really great. And it really captures the, the audience. Uh, it's, it's big, uh, but it was really, uh, it's, it's a great venue, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What about the museum itself? Have you had a chance to look around the museum? The I, haven't. I haven't, I oh, haven't, not yet. Uh, yeah. You have to, you have to take a day out. It's, it's really worthwhile. 
Yeah, I will. Yeah, particularly if you got like nieces or nephews or kids or whatever, you can take them around and. We'll do a tour. We'll do a we'll do a fintech Web three tour. Seb, just tell us one more thing. Have you invested in any companies here in the region yet? So no, um, we have not. We 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 looked at many. Um, we have How not. How many have you looked at? Can you share roughly? We looked at uh, over a dozen. We looked at over a dozen companies here. We have not invested in any yet. Um, no, no particular reason. We, we I think our, our our threshold for investment is 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 quite high. Um, we're very disciplined, and um, we want to kind of stay focused uh, with within our kind of thesis. And and round dynamics are, are really important for us. Um, I think it's a it's a nascent ecosystem, uh, which is becoming more and more investable. Out of the dozen plus companies we've seen, I would say maybe two, three, uh, or actually investable, really, really strong founders. Um, didn't quite work for us this time around, but I am sure that we will find some, some great opportunities to, uh, to invest uh, locally. And the, the last question that I have for you before I hand back to, to Ronit is, do you see yourself as a fund? Uh, yes, eventually investing in companies when they fit the tick boxes for you here in the region, not just the UAE. But do you see yourself relocating your portfolio companies to base themselves here because this is a place which is a hub or perhaps, like you say, not just the one that you talk about from the fintech possible, but a lot of them. Do you see a lot of them moving here for any reason whatsoever or it's part of the strategy long term? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. This is something that is, it, it's, and it's, this is currently happening as we speak. Um, a couple of our founders um, are, are very keen to come to come here and, and, and set up an office. Now, I don't know if they're going to be completely relocating everything uh, to the UAE, but to the point of you know having an office, uh, being close to a regulator, getting a license, whether it's a VAR license. Still investing time and money. That's still, that's still you know, a startup, startup needs every second counts, right? You're always... Right. Working right. against the clock to scale, build, right. prove, make more money. So that's yes. still time and money if they don't move their whole headquarters. But you're so, okay, that's very interesting. And, you know, I, I look forward to seeing more white star portfolio companies here and meeting them and seeing how they encourage the ecosystem to grow. And with that, Ronit, back to you. Thanks, Seb. Thank you. Seb, we just talked about the Museum of the Future. Gaurav asked you about companies in the region and you diplomatically said it was nascent and but clearly you've chosen to pitch your your personal flag and your professional flag here in this region what's the outlook that drove you here versus any other place whether it's north america western europe east asia southeast asia why did you put your flag here well, again, I think, you know, we are a, a global fund with a global mandate, right? And global investors who are part of our funds and different funds that we have. Now, when you look at the globe, we strategically said there is maybe perhaps one last pin that we need to drop where we would put a flag down um, to really complete this 360 global picture. 
And because we are in North America, because we're in Canada, because we're in the UK, we're in France, we're in Singapore, you know, the this is obvious that, you know, being here um, was a no-brainer. Um, and that gets accentuated by the fact that, again, the regulator here is making a big push. They are friendly with all things fintech and Web3, um, open-minded. It's an evolution, right? But we want to be part of that evolution as opposed to being um, in a jurisdiction that is blocking um, and have a specific agenda, right? So I think this is where we want to be because of those, because of those reasons. Um, and over the years, you know, the UAE became a hub, a, a fintech hub, a Web3 hub. And honestly, we see deal flow coming from here the same amount as we see, you know, in the UK, for example, right? So it's it's interesting to be here for the, for those reasons. Now again, I said it earlier. I hope this lasts. I hope this lasts, and this doesn't become just a transient piece where we could sit in in five years together and and have a talk, and this this ecosystem will be even bigger, more vibrant, and more mature. Um, and for that, we need more people like us here. We need more people that encourage and bring uh, talent and invest locally. Seth, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, look forward to running into you at events like the Museum of the Future talk and MENA FinTech Association gatherings and more. Uh, it's been a pleasure to meet you in a per. I think it's been two or three times now in person recently. Uh, look forward to the next rendezvous. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thank you. See you soon.